You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from the leadership ministry team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season hosts Lisa Greenwood, co-host Tim Sorens, and special guests explore spiritual formation. What is formation and what is the church's role in formation? Join our email, contact us, and find more resources from leadership ministry at tmf-fdn.org. Hi friends, I'm Lisa Greenwood, and I wanna begin by saying thank you. We are so grateful you're joining us for our seventh season. We continue to hear from you that the conversations we are sharing here are meaningful and helpful, and that they are in fact sparking the spirit within you and making a positive difference in your context. And that's exactly what we're hoping will happen, that ripple effect, if you will, that these conversations will lead to more conversations. We believe at TMF and Wesleyan Investive, borrowing from Margaret Wheatley, that conversation is the currency of change. So part of what we understand our role to be is to cultivate spaces where we can encounter the Holy Spirit at work. And we do that by getting thoughtful, courageous people in the room and asking a good question. And then we see what the Spirit will do. So one of the questions we've been asking lately is about formation. You know, what we talk about all the time in the church, discipleship. So we use that word a lot, but what does it really mean to disciple someone? This season, we're taking a closer look at spiritual formation. How are we being formed today? And what is the church's role in formation? And how is that role changing? When we considered and thought about who would be the right person to have in the room for these conversations, we said, do you think we could get Tim Sorens to do this with us? And sure enough, he said yes. So welcome, Tim. We're so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here with you, Lisa. So listeners, if you don't know Tim, I am so excited for you to get to know him through these seven episodes. That's right, seven episode season. We're excited to bring these conversations to you. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about my friend Tim. Tim Sorens is a pastor, social entrepreneur, and co-founding director of the Parish Collective, a growing network and global movement of Christians reimagining what it means to be church in, with, and for the neighborhood. He's the author of Everywhere You Look, Discovering the Church Right Where You Are. The link to his book is in our show notes, and we consider it a must-read. Tim is a popular speaker and writer and collaborator. And the reason for this is not only the wisdom that he shares, it's also the way he lives and moves in the world. Tim is the real deal. He truly embodies the gospel. Tim lives with his wife, Kote, in Seattle, and they have three boys. So with that, Tim, I want to start with your interest in this topic. And I know this is kind of blunt, but maybe you could share with us why you said yes to co-hosting for this season about formation. (laughs) Well, there are actually so many reasons, Lisa. The first is... When I meet incredible leaders doing incredible things and they ask me to do things, I generally say yes. So getting this invitation from you was the first big reason. The second is I have been following your work through this podcast and the chance to be able to meet some of the incredible people that we're going to talk to Mm. in this season. I was like, yes, yes, yes. That's going to be so much fun. And then the third reason as to the, the topic, and we mm-hmm. have, we've talked about this back and forth a little bit, 
I absolutely think that discipleship and formation is one of the most critical conversations right now for the church. And as we've talked about, I don't actually think it's just like a church thing or a religious thing. Discipleship is, but formation, that's a human thing. And so the more that we can talk about how are we formed, what forms us, what are the lives that we're hoping to lead? I mean, that's going to be amazing for me. I think it's going to be great for the church. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun. And over the years that you and I have sat together, you know, whether that's breaking bread or just in a side conversation at an event, um, over and over again, we come back to both our love for the church and our very real gut-wrenching, holy discontent with our ability to actually be a gospel witness and what it means to be forming people and changing communities. And so I just am so excited that you said yes and that we're going to get to dig deeper into those kinds of conversations. And so can't thank wait. you. I can't yeah. wait. Yep, yep. So one of the things that I hope will happen in this first episode is for folks to get to know you a little bit and how you think and the work that you've been doing. And so I want to start actually with your book. And so Blair and I and some of our folks at TMF and The Investive have been looking at this book and reading and talking about it. And and as I said, really consider it a must read. And I'd love for you to take just a piece out of page 29 and, and read a couple of paragraphs, and then let's use that to have our conversation. Well, of course, I'd be honored. And you should know, sometimes this happens with with authors. Some of your listeners might know that if you write a book, increasingly audiobooks are common. And of course, I was like, oh, that'd be fun to read the audiobook. Yeah. And you have to try out. And they're like, yeah, we think we should hire a voice person. So I never got to read my book. So this is great fun. So this is a snippet of what the audiobook would sound like. Had I done it, just saying, it's a great joy. <laughs> so yeah, this is awesome. Okay, here we go. In so many of the conversations about the church, we are almost pathologically talking about what we do on Sundays. The programs we offer, what we do for kids, the time of our service, our church, our denomination, tradition. And without meaning to, these conversations reinforce the idea that the purpose of the church is the church itself. When we ask what the church is for, we we begin actually with God, not just ourselves. We now stand at a collective crossroads. Without meaning to, we have made the church itself the why. And it's just not working. The church alone is not a big enough container for the desires God has placed within each of us. But when we reframe the question, then we are back on track. Episcopal priest and author Fleming Rutledge says, the calling of the church is to place itself where God is already at work. We can't make progress by asking questions about the church before we start asking questions about what God is up to. And we can't really ask questions about what God is up to without the particularity of our lives in the places we live. This is the heart of the matter. If we have the courage to continually ask what God's dreams are for our places, it creates an endless journey that requires us to listen 
and discern, to join and create, to ultimately receive the transformation we hope to see as a gift from the real God working in our actual lives. Amen. Amen. Woohoo. That was <laughs> fun. I don't know why there. I can do that. that See, yes, yes. They're missing out to hear your voice, <laughs> reading your words. Right? That's so good. So good. Okay. So there's so much to unpack here. And, and I, I want to just pull on some threads. Let's start with this notion of a collective crossroads and what you mean by that. And say more about why that's problematic. And, and anyway, we'll just go from there. Well, there has been a, a narrative around church circles that I've been hearing, and I think you probably have too, that is almost a veritable industry of decline, of declension, of anxiety, of hand-wringing, of frankly, like death and despair. And there's, yeah, reasons for that. There's data for that. But it also depends on where you're looking, and it also especially depends on how you're defining what the church is. So if you're primarily looking at the church as like a simply an event that people go to, which is losing in the market share of attention, then yeah, there are probably some reasons for despair. And I'm not trying to say none of this stuff matters, but I mean, I've walked in I think probably like three, 400 neighborhoods over the last decade. And when you ask ordinary people and clergy, congregations, intentional communities, missional communities, a bunch of entrepreneurs, moms, dads, what has God up to here? I have never, ever not been inspired by what mm. I've heard. Yeah. And so I think part of the crossroads, yeah, is is asking some hard questions as to, not just what is the church, but specifically what is it for? But what I'm trying to get at with this book in particular is to say, we have to change perhaps how we see before we begin to change what we do. And I think if we have the courage, like I read, to ask what has God up to in our actual places, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of, reading, of, of reasons for hope. And if we could begin to connect those and go on the path of asking what does it mean for us to be the church here, I think we're going to have incredible stories that we're going to get to tell our kids and grandkids. And grandkids. Uh, may it be so, right? <laughs> right. So I'm curious as you're seeing this, and I, I think you're right about this narrative of decline and despair, right? And, and that so much energy from church leadership, lay and clergy, is spent right now managing the decline. And, and that is, that can just consume. So we're thinking about everything from attendance to, to property, to, you know, our calendar and um, our activities and all those kinds of things and budgets and staffs and all those things and sort of managing the decline, which I'm using quote marks, which folks can't see, but and yet, I mean, what you're inviting folks to do to see the crossroad, like a different path to take, essentially, and, and that is to say, see where God is at work. And that's not always in the activities, frankly, and the building, right? It's around us. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, examples of when people have asked that question? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think that I borrow 
in this book, and I've been talking about this for a couple of years, there's a really wonderful book called Start With Why by Simon Sinek that yeah, of course. I bet yeah, some of the great. listeners have heard. It's a great TED Talk. And he says that great movements, great organizations, they have the courage to start with why or their purpose. And they kind of put that in the center. In fact, he kind of draws like a bullseye where he puts why in the center. And then from there, you move to how and from there, the what. And part of the crossroads as well is that without meaning to, we have actually put the church itself in the center, like as the why, like the church exists for itself. But that's, I mean, I know hundreds of pastors. That's not why they got into this. No. Um, certainly it's not why I got into this. It's just to like to either build a big institution or what can feel like throwing yourself a birthday party every week. I mean, that's not, that's not the vocational discernment. Almost all of us were compelled and I think called by the spirit of God to join in the dreams of God, uh, to yeah. be pursuing the shalom of God, the beloved community. There's different synonyms for this, but I think that is, that is the why or the purpose of the church. Mm -hmm. And so, Asking these questions actually takes us down very different paths. If you ask, what is God's dream, say right here within my neighborhood or the neighborhood where our church resides, and you keep asking that question, you ask it with other people, you depend on God to be answering that, you're, you're literally asking, what does God want here? That takes you down a very different path than when you do put the church in the center and just say, essentially, how do we grow our church or how do we save our church? And those are good questions. Don't hear me wrong. Like <laughs> it's important, but you can, you can begin to imagine how these are fundamentally, not only just different questions, they, they take us in new destinations. And I think the destination of what is God up to and what are the dreams of God? And it really is plural. I think it's probably as plural as there are people and situations and systems in our neighborhoods. I mean, that's you know, like an unending adventure, and that's what I want to be about. And honestly, it's there are people at, answering this question individually, communally, congregationally, all over the country, all over the world. And it is some of the most hopeful, beautiful, courageous, resilient stuff anywhere. But it's often not championed. It's often not celebrated. I mean, that's another reason why I want to do this podcast, because I've seen you doing this. You've mm -hmm. been celebrating and championing everyday people who are trying to join in the dreams of God in their in their places uh, and pushing into it, even though it's undefined and it's not always easy. So I think those two questions, putting the why at the center as God's dream, right? I think that's really helpful for us today. Yeah, yeah. So it's reminding me of one of the frameworks that we use that I think it really makes sense here, although I hadn't tied it into our conversation. And that is the difference between a public mission and a private mission, and that we all have both, right? So our public mission is to, you know, make disciples of Jesus Christ for, you know, and, and transform the world, make a difference in the world. And, and um, you know, we may word it in different ways, but essentially that's our public mission. That's our work. That's our why. But our private mission has been to, to protect and preserve the, the, our local church or the institution of the church or however we want to say that. And, um, and that becomes our driver. That becomes our why. That kind of protect and preserve. And, and I love how you're giving this very concrete wisdom about how to make that shift. 
you're not saying, oh, don't protect your church, don't preserve your church, don't worry about all those things. You're actually saying this question can actually help you more deeply be the church. So if you can say, what is God up to? What is God doing? What are God's dreams? And how do we participate in it? You're inviting folks to lean into actually the very real, the public, but their very real mission, right, <laughs> of the church. That feels really helpful. Yeah, I hope so. In fact, I would hope that by asking that question is, you know, what is God's dreams? What is God doing? That actually would integrate, it would unite, it would weave the, the personal and the public in very tangible ways. Mm-hmm. One, one question that I wrestle with a lot as to the kind of public nature of the church right now mm-hmm. is that ostensibly the only way that our neighbors or everyday people can see the church at work in public is in our essentially formalized gatherings, yeah. our Sunday morning gatherings. And if you asked nearly any church, like, is the church, you know, the building or the people? Is the programs of the people? Of course. What would everyone, everyone would say it's the people. But then if you say, well, where is the church on a Tuesday morning or a Wednesday afternoon? Well, you know, maybe they'd point back to the building. And I think that is, you know, between the public and the private, that's, that tension or that quandary is, is, a, is a part of what's underneath the work I've been trying to help nurture with the parish collective. Because, I actually think that there is a veritable mega church in just mm-hmm. about all of our neighborhoods. If you could mm-hmm. just simply shine a light on all of the people who would raise their hand if they could say, yeah, I'm trying to follow Jesus and I love my neighborhood. I mean, just that alone. Say that. Say that's like what, 10, 15, 20% of most of our neighborhoods probably. Yeah. Even if it's 5%, it might be a couple hundred people. And yet, what capacity do we have to know we are <laughs> even in each other's neighborhoods? What capacity do we have to see each other? I mean, I'm not advocating for wearing weird t-shirts or things like that, but there must be some way other than like Ash Wednesday when we know <laughs> who we are. Right. And I sort think of the, that they'll know we are Christians by our love, right? Exactly. You know? So how are we doing that? What does that look like? Exactly. And I don't, I mean, we can have really wonderful services and gatherings and, and, and I don't, I'm not actually denigrating it at all. Our gatherings are vitally important, really crucial. So it's not an either or. It's asking the question, well, you know, what is the church for? And then how does the Sunday gathering reinforce that? How do our liturgies send us forth? How does how do we take communion, not just in the moment, but think of the power of what is it, what are we embodying as we take communion? Yeah. As we sing songs, what are we singing about? And is it completely devoid of context? Because our lives aren't. Right. So these are some of the questions I think uh, we got to wrestle with as we think about how we gather and what gatherings are for and what liturgy could look like and what Sundays can mean. But underneath it is the question of what is God doing and, and yeah. what does it mean for us to actually be the church in our everyday lives? Yeah. And you're really speaking to this shift from a spirituality of place to a spirituality of journey, right? That spirituality of place says, I encounter the holy, I encounter God or the Holy Spirit at work in the sanctuary, right? This holy space. And so I go to church to encounter God. Mm 
And I, I think our churches were formed around that. I don't know. Maybe it's generational. Maybe it's, I, I don't, I don't really want to um, say too much because I, I don't know, but, but there's certainly an ethos and an, of a spirituality of place that is shifting to a spirituality of journey where I mean, everything from Bible studies in our homes to what it means to do meditation every morning to reading at the local elementary school to doing yoga to taking walks to listening to podcasts on our run to, you know, I mean, just all kinds of ways that we encounter the holy and, and we name it that way. And none of that is even stepping foot in, a, in the church building, but we're being formed and shaped and we're growing in our spirituality and it's an all day, every day. And then to, to move from not just how we're being formed, but how we're living it, how we're being a witness, you know, every moment of every day of our lives. And we're, we're living this journey of spirituality. Okay. So saying all that, it brings me back to one of the things you said right at the beginning of this conversation when you said, you know, formation isn't just a church thing. It's not just a, you know, spiritual thing. Like it's a human thing. So will you say more about that and what you mean by that? Yeah, I think that formation, and I would even say spiritual formation, mm-hmm. is happening to all of us all the time. Yeah. The difference is whether or not we're paying attention to it. Yeah. So you can think of things that dominate our lives, like most of us at some point in a given week, get in a car, get an automobile and drive somewhere. That's really formative. A bunch of us spend more than 10 minutes a day looking at these supercomputers in our pocket. Mm-hmm. That's really formative. It's forming and changing us. It's a habit that is cultivating the life that we have. Now, you could say, well, what is so spiritual about that? Well, maybe nothing if you believe that you can separate spirit and body. But if it's all gods, if it's all one, then yes, we are always being formed all the time. And maybe to push it a bit, maybe a bit provocatively forward, if you can think of, say, uh, religion as a framing story that gives us meaning, then human beings are religious. I mean, we all need, we all have framing stories. And actually, I think that if we were all Christian, other faith, no, you know, no faith in particular, I think the more that we could have those conversations together, like what is the story that frames your life? What then are the the habits and the environments that you think are helping you to cultivate that life? That's a better conversation with literally everyone than just, you know, are you a Christian or not? And I'm absolutely a Christian and I'm I'm, I'm a Christian because I think it's the best way to live. And hence, I would love for everyone to be a Christian. (laughs) But um, I think if we dig a little bit deeper and we say, yeah, what what are the habits? What are how, are how are we being formed through all sorts of things? Then we can have better conversations. And frankly, a lot might be revealed as to what's truly forming us. Yeah. And I, I think, interestingly, we as the church can be our own worst enemy when we think that formation is happening you know, every Sunday morning, only happening every Sunday morning in worship or in the programs that we provide. And um, and interestingly, rather than 
claiming our stake, if, if you will, through those free worship experiences, we actually almost abdicate our role in the larger picture of what it means to to form human beings yeah. as disciples, right? There's a little irony to that, but uh, we limit, really, I think, the, the role, and, and I, I hope we don't do that. Right? No, I, I hope we don't do that. And I think to the extent that we do, again, because we're always being formed, then we might be unintentionally defaulting to a counterformation that we don't even want. Mm-hmm. If to be human is to be formed, then the more intentional we can be, the better. And that means we're going to need the framing story of scripture, we're going to need one another, we're going to need to be inspired by and lean into church history, we're going to have to dig into the greatest gifts of our denominations and traditions. And yeah, even the stuff, our buildings and our budgets and money, and it's all God's, which means it forms us all. And so, the more intentional, again, we can be about this, the better. And it does seem like if we don't the crisis of formation, the crisis of discipleship is only going to deepen. And we, it's just, it's unacceptable. We, we, we can't keep going down this path. It is so easy right here to get a little cynical, but I want to bring us back to that place where you started because I think it's pretty easy to go down that path of sort of despair and uh, decline and some of that. And I, I and I, I want us to be realistic, like to face what's really happening in the church and the places where we're falling short. And I also want us to claim and realize that God is at work in beautiful ways. And so I love that everything you say is realistic and you're inviting leaders and the church to ask a new question that can help us say what is ours to do in a season where people are less likely to be part of what's happening in the church or see the church as irrelevant. So how does the church look around itself in its neighborhood? I heard recently somebody say, uh, as a pastor, uh, the church was worried about introducing itself to the community when I realized I needed to introduce the community to the church, mm. right? <laughs> you know, and uh, and uh, you know, I think part of your work with Parish Collective, even in the name, has talked about how important it is for community and church to be so integrally related. I would say that. One of the reasons that I'm so excited and hopeful and enthusiastic about the neighborhood or the parish, which I could define real quickly as (laughs) the parish is a geographic area that's big enough to live a lot of your life, live, work, play, Mm -hmm. but small enough to be known as a character within the story of that place. Mm. So it's, it's it's an ecology. It's where we live our lives, at least most of us. And the reason that how it goes so like kind of hand in glove with this idea of what is God's dream is it's one thing to ask that question intellectually, which is Mm -hmm. fruitful or like even like cosmically or, you know, but we can't forget that we are, we are created beings. We're not God, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't see things from the universal to the particular. We live in bodies with limits and in real places. So 
our experience comes from the particular and then maybe from there to the universal. And so if you're asking what is God's dream or what would Shalom look like here, you can you can answer in ways that I think are appropriately universal, like the reconciliation of all things or reunion or again, renewal. But it's actually pretty different for us when we walk down our streets or we're getting a cup of coffee or picking up our kids at school or we're, you know, playing pickup basketball. What are God's dreams for this place? And that gets very real, very fast. You know, if I take my dog for a walk and I'm asking that question, maybe I'm thinking about how a part of God's dream is reconciled and healthy marriages. That's not terribly controversial, right? And we would all hope for that for our friends and family and really anyone. Mm -hmm. But to to be walking down a street and know neighbors and be and and maybe you know even those of you listening right now might be thinking about oh yeah if I walk down the street and I had that that like what are God's dreams for the kind of marriages in my neighborhood you might be thinking of of marriages that you know are on the rocks you might be know I mean you might be thinking of real people like mm-hmm. in that house because your kids play together and your friends or whatever and you know they're going through it that's a different kind of prayer for those particular people than just, God, I hope that you, you know, are about healthy marriages. Of course, both are true, but do you feel that once we locate the dreams in an actual place, it becomes yeah. far more of a, a dare. We actually need God mm-hmm. to be at work. We're dependent <laughs> upon the agency and the activity of God. And then our response is, yeah, well, what, I wonder what my responsibility is. And maybe it's, we'll just keep praying. I, th- I think that's part of the dynamic that to me is so powerful. It's not, I don't think that the neighborhood or parish is like a new fad or a kind of, certainly it's not like a technique. I think it's a dare towards faithful presence. And it requires not just individuals, it requires teams of people, congregations yeah. who are saying, yeah. yeah, how do we join in this? But it takes real honest-to-God faith to ask those kinds of questions, because the adventures I think that we're going to be on when we ask those questions are going to be incredible. And we're going to need God, not just theoretically, we're going to need God to act. So I love how you're bringing this to the real. You know, it's the walking the dog in the neighborhood. It's thinking about your the parents of the kids that your kids are playing with. It's your neighbors, your family, your own merit, you know, like bringing it to the ground. And I, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot just a minute. You, you are, you and Cote are raising three boys. And so as you think about your own family and you think about formation and raising these boys, what does that look like for you? And how have you translated this, as you say, this kind of heady academic almost exercise to say, what does it look like in my home and with my family? Well, two quick answers to that. One is there's a part of the book that I love, and it is very true, where when we have three boys, but when our eldest was learning how to speak, uh, I had a conversation with Cote, my wife, and said, how about this? How about, I should say, I studied rhetoric, so words matter a lot to me. And so we made it basically a pact that we would never say as it relates to the church, we wouldn't teach Lucas that you could go to church as though that was po- like ontologically possible. Mm. That you could go to a church building, you can go to a liturgy, you, could, you know, something like that. But to this day, uh, and he sounds a bit weird with some of his friends, but he'll, L- Lucas and now my other boys know, oh yeah, the church is not something you just go to. It's like, 
it's something that you're a part of. It's it's you know aunts and uncles in the neighborhood that are pursuing the dreams of God. So that's like kind of like in a sense silly, but also incredibly serious. But I've got an 11 year old, a five year old, and an almost two year old. And as you can imagine, particularly my 11 year old, um, who's I think technically a preteen. I don't know that. I don't know that that. sociologically (laughs) correct, but it sure feels like it. So Uh here's what we're starting to do. Once a week, we have kind of, he and I have a special time where we're kind of asking three questions. What are the stories that we believe? What are the relationships that we keep? And what are the habits that we form? And arguably, those are all discipleship questions. They're all formation questions. And none of them sound particularly religious, but of course, there is an opportunity to have conversations about scripture and what God is up to in all of them. And arguably, those three things, I would say, like, put together a life. And I'm I'm really wanting him to be really aware of, yeah, what stories do I believe? Not just theologically, but like, what do I believe about history, my own ethnic history, or the history of this country, or the history of my neighborhood, or just have kind of a narrative imagination to the world. I want him to be having a good understanding of what are his habits. And these are like, he's 11, so like, brushing your teeth or not. Right. Homework. Um, he's, he loves baseball. And so like, what are the habits that you want? If you want to be an incredible baseball player, what does that mean as far as the habits that you form in a given week? And of course, we all know every every parent especially and grandparents knows like human beings essentially are the sum total of pretty much the five or six people that you hang out with the most and so being really aware of who he's hanging out with and why and and what does it mean uh to be a a big brother to be a friend to be a son to be a grandson these are all really i think powerful formation kinds of questions yeah and yeah our hope my hope, I shouldn't, I mean, I know we're recording this, obviously, so this is a good, <laughs> this is a good <laughs> discipline for me. He's 11. <laughs> My hope is to do this until until he leaves the house. Um, and of course, it wouldn't just be with him, only with, with all my boys. And, and Kote has some different practices that she's doing with them too. But And of course, we're going to want to invite friends and aunts and uncles and godparents and things like that into this broader story. But I think being really intentional about formation is one of the most powerful ways that we can both parent and lead within our congregations. That's beautiful. I mean, really, you could, we could almost, if we could get each person to, to claim that in their own lives, those stories, think about how we could be formed and shaped in ways, like you said, that are actually deeply rooted in scripture and in our own larger story, um, even if you're not naming that every day. Um, or with a, a child, um, but then come to know that over time and, and see themselves in those stories. It's beautiful. That's really oh, beautiful. Thanks, Lisa. I'm glad I put you on the spot. So we're going to ask all of our guests uh, a, a kind of a final question throughout the season. And, and so I, I'd love to hear your response. And that's to share one way that you're being formed right now and what difference is it making for you? Well, I think that the way that I'm being formed right now, maybe it's front of mind because we were just talking about my boys, but you know, without, within all formation, it's, it's a dialectic, it's a relationship that goes both ways. And so I honestly think that my 
boys, their playfulness, their contagious laughter, time together is, is one of the most powerful things that's forming me. There are so many ways that I want to be like them, both individually and collectively. So the more time that I'm able to spend with them, kind of zoom down at their level, mm. I just find myself enchanted with them. And honestly, I'm like so many of the people listening, we're, we're busy and stressed out. We live in a very polarized culture. There's a lot of anxiety. And I find myself wanting to be, you could say, discipled into a richer re-enchantment uh, mm. with life. And my boys do that for me. Discipled into a richer re-enchantment with life. Ah, what a poet you are, Tim. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, Lisa, I really, of course, appreciate being asked, but you know I'm dying to know, how are you being formed right now? So I I was thinking about this question too, and, and you know, I wanted to sound sort of holy and spiritual. So I was like pulling on the disciplines that I do in my morning and that kind of thing. And I thought, no, I, there's something really gritty forming me right now. And I want to mm. own it and just yeah, claim it as part of my formation. And um, well, it feels gritty to me. It may not it may not sound gritty when I say it aloud, but <laughs> it feels gritty to me. And that is, so I'm in this new role, right? And I'm I'm six weeks in at this point, thereabouts. And congratulations, and, just in case listeners don't know, what is the role? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm the new president of TMF and and the investive and and um, and it is it's it's already such a joy and such a challenge and all of those things that it is right and and some of the immediate work that I'm wanting to do is to to form uh, a team right at the at, at the leadership level yeah. and and I'm I've been sort of visited by these words that I read, I don't know, uh, 20 years ago, maybe by David Schnarch, who's a, a psychologist and and uh, writes about relationships and things. And and he called marriage a people growing machine, right? Yes. This is what happens when you have to, when you make mistakes and you have to apologize or you discover something about yourself because of something that really ticked you off about your partner, but you then had to look at your own reactiveness, you know, all these kinds of things, right? And I'm realizing in forming a team that is built on trust and transparency and that in a, in a obviously not as intimate a way as a marriage, but in a very real way, this, this is a people growing machine for me. Yes. And that I am being formed every day in these relationships and this team that we're trying to form and build in the in the very important and urgent and wonderful work that we get to do and so i realize wow okay this is one of the most powerful ways that i'm being formed right now in this season of my life and i i find god's fingerprints all over it and i'm so grateful so beautiful it is really, I just have to say, it's inspiring to hear a leader who is beginning right off the onset of asking not just what are we going to do and how we're going to take the hill and important questions about vision and culture and strategy. Those are obviously super critical. 
But to right off the top, ask the questions, how am, how do I need to grow and change and be formed? How are our teams being formed? I mean, referencing David Schnark, I mean, wow, that's impressive. Very, <laughs> very impressive. You can see, dear listeners, why TMF and Wesley Nevesev is in such incredible hands and why I jumped at this opportunity. <laughs> you are very I'm kind, and we're going to need to end this recording soon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, I have to say, Tim, I, I feel like I could talk forever with you about about the church and about what God is doing. And I'm so excited to enter into this season with you and get to meet these incredible guests and talk about how we as human beings are being formed and the church's role in that formation so that we can stand to our full height as the church that God has called us to be. So... By the grace of God, may it be so. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Lisa. (laughs) Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Check out our show notes and website for more information about all our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White. And from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening.